so what that means is is almost a return to the fundamentals i mean there's there's still since the, you know since the publication of the first piece of content marketing approximately golly 110 years ago i mean a, essentially a catalog like the the j peterman catalog of its day um not a lot has changed about humans that's the thing that we need to understand people are always searching for the ultimate edge or the newest technique but you know humans don't evolve uh anywhere near that fast so for all intents and purposes the buyer of 1922 is still essentially the buyer of 2022 Are you looking for ways to shorten your marketing learning curve and help your organization survive and thrive? Welcome to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast, a show for purpose-focused leaders who want to use marketing techniques to fuel their organization's growth. If you're a returning listener and you haven't subscribed already, we'd love to have you. Also, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Now here's your host, author and marketing specialist, Stu Swinefort. Hey everybody, Stu here. My guest today is Aaron Rickson, the best copywriter in the world and a, a dear friend. He and I have known each other for a number of years and I just love getting the opportunity to hang out with Aaron and chat with him, uh, particularly when we can dive into uh, the idea of content marketing and copywriting and how that endeavor uh, can can really take your organization to the next level. Uh, one of the things we talked about was this shift that nonprofits need to make, um, which is a challenge uh, in the nonprofit space. But this shift from the position of making the nonprofit the hero to making the donor the hero in their own story. Um, and really writing copy that feels one-to-one, that feels like you're speaking to a single person, and that single person is going to feel all the feels when they donate to your nonprofit. Um, Aaron is just an amazing person. He's one of my favorite people. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Here we go. Aaron, how are you today? I am good, my man. Any, any time with you is good time. Agreed. I am really excited to actually record one of our conversations. Normally, we just we just shoot the breeze for a couple hours at a time and talk about everything from Nick Cage movies to how to pronounce Guelph. Um, and uh, and so it's it's fun to maybe share this one with with the greater audience out there. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I've uh, I always enjoy talking to you. I enjoy hanging with you better, but you don't. Oh. Absolutely. Situations being what they are, you stay there and I'll stay here in Canada. Apparently, that's the, that's the new thing that we all get to experience is just never seeing anyone that we love ever again. Um, but uh, there you go. Well, you know, speaking of, as we record this, I'm, I'm shocked. If we, I mean, you and I did 10 minutes of preamble and then turn on the record. You have yet to wish me condolences on the loss of my queen. That's true. That's true. This is fresh and new for me as we're recording. Obviously, this is going to come out sometime in 2034. <laughs> but while we're recording it, <laughs> while we're recording it, my queen has just died. That is true. And I, I saw a news article that they had to postpone um, some citizenship stuff in Canada because they didn't know to whom the people needed to pledge their allegiance uh, in, the, in the interim between the Queen's departure and uh, and King Charles uh, III. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a big deal here. It's a big deal for us in Canada. She was here more often than any other country outside of the United Kingdom. Uh, she is, um, she was on our money. So, you know, we're going to get some new money. Uh, I'm kind of a closet monarchist, so I've been watching documentaries and reading books, and I like the the Crown on Netflix. But I mean, chiefly, this is why I'm most excited. Not that I would celebrate anybody dying, but they've just announced that we get a national holiday <laughs> to celebrate, or sorry, to commemorate her death. So uh, yeah, 
like a national holiday moving forward or just just one? Uh, Well, that's the jury's still out there. It will be a national day of mourning. I strongly doubt they'll be like, hey, it's happy day the queen died. No, or you know, if if this was a yearly event, or yeah, if it no, was it, just the, I, the one time one time shot. The shirker in me says we can only hope it's a yearly event, but I doubt that it will be. <laughs> okay, well, it's as uh, if people have not picked up on the this fact already. Uh, Aaron hails from the glorious town of Guelph, Canada, mm-hmm. or Canada, Canada, America's hat, Canada, America's hat. Yeah. And we go back quite a ways. Uh, met during our uh, our time in You Gurus mm-hmm. together. Long you were ago. an ins- instructory type person, and I was a, a, a what would we call that class class person? Uh, yeah, I was I known guess, for going, getting getting paid too little to things. talk too long. And uh, um, you and I met then. I think the f- first time we met. You took me to this cool speakeasy in Denver. That was pretty cool. Oh yeah, that was fun. We went to that. We went to that place. Or maybe we met the year before. I mean, we started. It was around about that time that you and I started actually making plans to to connect, whether or not you were at the conference or not. The annual conference that I would come to in Denver, and uh, yeah. we've been to that speakeasy. We've been to uh, the good old hockey game down there at the Pepsi Center and in denver uh yeah we had too much tequila one night at a <laughs> at, at a, a little place there called pete's oh yeah in denver yeah, that was good illegal, they, illegal pete's actually they pour large and, drinks uh, there yeah they did i bet they still do <laughs> yeah. we, should, we should go explore yes. that again at some yes point. please and now if i'd had my way uh again i say i'm stuck up here in canada i had hoped to in fantasy land, I thought I was going to fly down to Denver and drag you off to the Afghan Wigs show. A wonderful, uh, that's coming up. Wonderful band from Cincinnati. Uh, except for then, I realized that you know the sum total of the Afghan Wigs show, when you factor in the commute from Canada, is about fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't love the wigs that much. They're pretty good, though. Yeah. They're one of my favorite bands. I really enjoy getting to go to their shows. We are sadly going to miss it this oh, year. However, I think um, due to a, a number of number of colliding events, but uh, but I wish them I wish them well. They just had a, a new album drop. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't so. dived into it yet. I've heard a little bit of it. And it's pretty cool. Nice, mm. good stuff. Well, if everyone's wondering why the hell uh, Aaron and I are just talking to one another here on the Relish This Podcast is because he is one of the best copywriters in the world, if not the best copywriter oh, in the world. And you. I wanted to bring him and his great, big, beautiful brain to the masses with uh, with a conversation about about copywriting, about content, content marketing, and and all of that stuff when it comes to getting the word out for for your organization, whether you're a, a nonprofit or just somebody out trying to do some do more good in the world. Um, content marketing seems to be one of the the major uh, go to activities that need kind of need to happen um, if you're if you're hoping to attract and uh, entice an audience to participate in in whatever it is that you would like for them to participate <laughs> in and, and Aaron's an expert in this in this field and um, so what uh, what what are some of the fun things that you've been seeing lately in terms of, of content marketing and copywriting that you can share with our audience oh golly well I mean that's an interesting question for a couple of reasons number one I'm starting to sort of crystallize my own ideas about how it should be done, you know, how you should write and what, you know, how to not be sleazy and so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. The other the other piece of it is that I uh, gave up on most social media. So, where before I was a keen observer of the, you know, the usual bullcrap and the trendy types of sales pitches and um, – clickbaity articles and so on and so forth. I'm refreshingly in the dark around, you know, the pulse of the current moment, you know, like I, I couldn't tell you what 
I used to be able to tell you what ad was irritating me or <laughs> what <laughs> what style of crummy clickbaity webinar was was out there uh you know but you know again my life is refreshingly free of that nonsense now so what that means is is almost a return to the fundamentals i mean there's there's still since you know since the publication of the first piece of content marketing approximately Golly, 110 years ago. I mean, essentially a catalog, like the the Jay Peterman catalog of its day. Um, not a lot has changed about humans. That's the thing that we need to understand. People are always searching for the ultimate edge or the newest technique, but you know, humans don't evolve uh, anywhere near that fast. So, for all intents and purposes, the buyer of 1922 is still essentially the buyer of 2022. Uh, they're still motivated by psychological triggers and they're still curious and they're still easily distracted and even you know, more so today, obviously. But uh, the challenge that faces content marketers in 2022 is just the sheer amount of noise out there that, that the internet kind of democratized publishing and that's a that's a plus because it means that any one of us can do it. I can do it, or you can do it, Stu, or any of your listeners can do it. They can get out there and publish content and say, "Look what I added to the world." But at the same time, we're now competing against hundreds of millions of people, um, and you know, very likely thousands of people, even in just the same space, saying very similar things. Right. So it becomes harder and harder to distinguish yourself to actually put the thought and the leadership back into thought leadership. A lot of it is simply thought parrot ship or, you know, thought <laughs> copy ship or there's a lot of just empty content and noise. And so I guess to make a long answer short, the, I still feel that the number one advantage when it comes to publishing your content is doing some actual thinking actually saying something instead of just trying to say what everybody else is saying or trying to put your spin on the trendy article of the moment or the you know news jack the you know the, the queen's death and talk about how what the you know if the queen was still alive here's how she'd be doing content marketing like come on right right so do you think that people need to need to to pause and and decide you know take be a little bit more thoughtful in what they're putting out there or do they just need to practice more and get m more material out there so that they get better at at creating great mm. material what which of those or is is there something else that you think is the 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 trigger that people should be trying to trying to leverage i think it's interesting in this, in this case um you know, I don't, I don't ignore social media enough that I don't, and that I'm not familiar with. You know, what TikTok is, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, stick with me on this metaphor. TikTok is like, you know, here's a creator comes along and does this goofy dance, and somebody else copies it, and somebody else copies it, and all of a sudden everybody's doing this goofy dance. Yeah, it's possible for person number seventeen thousand to become more famous than the person who did the goofy dance in the first place. Mm -hmm. But that's a rare occurrence right and so what you know now apply that analog to content somebody says some idea and everybody says oh yes 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 i agree you know i defy you to go to linkedin and and for example and look at the 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 percentage of stuff that is actually you know someone thinking as opposed to somebody saying oh look here's this article i believe this or oh blah 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 you know, so I would I would say that separate from, you know, what tactics do you want to do? How often do you want to publish? How long should it be? The first question that anyone should ask is, what are we actually saying? What do we want to say here? What do we stand for? What are, what are we for? What do we believe? What does our company believe? Like, what is the purpose of us? You know, this is a conversation you and I have had more than once, I think, about 
what Relish does and what Rickson does. And, you know, I mean, at least for me, I have, I want to be known for copy that is not sleazy, that is really good, reads really well, that helps you sell more stuff without selling your soul that, you know, like that just, that doesn't, that doesn't treat sales as a dirty word, but also doesn't treat buyers as mindless, faceless, uh, you know, clicks on the other end of the screen that, you know, if we could just increase our conversion rate by 0.23%, that means we could leverage another $11,000 this quarter. You know, that's not for me. So, you know, one of the reasons that I myself stay quiet that I'm not pumping out content is that I, I haven't yet figured out how to translate what I stand for into something that feels real to me that doesn't just feel like I'm parroting somebody else. Now, maybe that's to my detriment. Maybe there's got to be some kind of balance maybe between I won't write a word until I know it's the most original content in the world, <laughs> okay. you know, and, <laughs> right. and and the sort of like, oh, well, that guy got success with, with this type of article. I'm going to just copy that. And, you know, worst of all is these things that spin articles and just say, well, I'm going to rewrite a version of that and just post that because I need, it's Thursday, I need to post a blog, you know. Uh, yeah, clearly, the, 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 it's a passionate topic for me and I've yet to form a succinct answer about how you should start to market. But I, I really do feel like before you even think about it, you've got to figure out the basics. What do you want to say? Why are you saying it? Who are you saying it to? Where are they hiding? How can you find them? Where are you going to say it? You know, and then you start saying, okay, should we be doing this on Instagram? Should we be doing it? blog posts should be doing a combination there's so many companies that get told well content marketing is about writing one white paper every quarter and then dividing that into eight blog posts and then dividing each of those blog posts mm -hmm. into four social media posts and then barfing them out and just hitting people over the head with something that they really don't care about you know yeah i feel like good content so, will out but maybe that's just me being uh idealistic <laughs> well, I think that being idealistic in a in a space that is in in dire need of <laughs> of, uh, uh, of some idealism, um, <laughs> for lack of a better word, is uh, is probably not a bad not a bad place to start. It sounds like authenticity and 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 intention are are kind of the the starting points where really understanding the why behind even publishing in the first place as as well as um as well as as really trying to to be completely authentic in in the materials that you're producing and not just regurgitating um you know a, a bunch of a bunch of stuff that's already been said a thousand times and that that may be where one might start it just is a challenge when you when you start thinking about all of the all of the items that that you just listed in terms of mm. where are we going to publish you know et cetera et cetera um you know all of a sudden there's there's a paralysis that can occur in terms of of all of the planning that has to go into an article and by that point you know the the ship may have sailed <laughs> no it's true and you know like to be more pragmatic about it instead of just sort of pie, pie in the sky idealistic. If you would, I mean, there are still, you, you don't, you're, you're not doing content marketing just because you are, you know, you want to write the next great American novel. You're doing it with a, with a reason. You want to sell more of your stuff. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. So there are ways that you can do that and still find your stamp of authenticity. You could, for example, Say, okay, what's ranking highly for the search term that I want to target? Let's say we, you and mm -hmm. I want to target, uh, I don't know, purpose-driven marketing, you know, to borrow a relish phrase. So, <laughs> so we go out to the web and find out what's going on with purpose-driven marketing. And that's when the brain comes in, right? You look at what's there and what's ranking and do some extrapolation. And you say, okay, well... You know, funnily enough, the top four articles on purpose-driven marketing all seem to be 
tip lists. So clearly th- Google thinks that lists of tips are uh, valuable here. So we know, okay, we want to talk about purpose-driven marketing. We're going to find some kind of tip list. Clearly we need to put the keyword in the title. So it's going to be six somethings about purpose-driven marketing. You can further get clues from Google around what kind of content it values by looking at, you know, things like people also search for and, uh, you know, those questions that Google feeds you, people also ask, you know. Yep. So, you between those things, you can start to um, hone in on what might make a good article on purpose-driven marketing. For me, the extra mile comes when you say, okay, you know what? what how am I going to make mine different? What's going to be different here? It can't be that it's simply going to be longer. And so what you do is you you take a look at what's there and figure out where the gaps are and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to try to address those gaps. Or it looks like the number two article and the number three article are both taking a different tack here. Well, what happened if we combine that same sort of thing into something new and address both of those angles in this article? And then for the last little bit, of the extra mile, you say to your reader in your article, hey, reader, you know, we looked at these articles and this is what they're saying about purpose-driven marketing, but where they're wrong is X. We feel that Y. And so you tell them up front that you're different. It's not enough simply to be different, but if if you're now guiding the reader to saying, we've done some thinking about this and here's what we believe, then you're all of a sudden standing up for something. You've got it. You are your own mascot. You've got a a cause here and you're saying you're, you're helping to define relish as a company, even as you're defining what you feel about purpose-driven marketing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. It's like you're creating your own differentiation within the content that you're creating. Yeah, for um, sure. Where, and, and you're, you're making it fairly, um, overt in terms of, of not making people have to, have to dig around for that. You're, you're explicitly saying other people feel this way. Um, this is our take on it that differs. And, um, and, and here we go. Yeah. Like if um, you can, if you, to me, if you can yeah. like front load that stuff, if you were to say, for example, you know, in our, in our experience, most articles on purpose driven marketing only scratch the surface. They're full of bromides and diamond dozen tips and just the same marketing stuff you see all the time, just with a, you know, a purpose, just viewed through purpose colored glasses. In this article, we wanted to go deeper and actually help you align the values of your nonprofit with your marketing in a very concrete way. And we, we've, you know, we've got six tips that you can use to do that. And then you can fill in your email address and download a worksheet. And, and all of a sudden you've got a content marketing engine going because people are reading in the first paragraph, oh wait, and this is not going to be surface stuff. This is going to be something different. This is going to be finally something refreshing. So they get sucked into the page. And then all of a sudden when they see your call to action that says download this, worksheet to help you bingo you've got a new email for your mailing right you know right and all of that done very organically and very um refreshingly i think you know it's not simply cranking up content because you're supposed to it's done very intentionally and with a purpose and a strategy and for me i think that's what content marketing should be about yeah yeah, I I, th- I think that sounds like a a pretty sound way to to start to develop those relationships, and you know that's one of the things we talk pretty regularly about with our clients over here at Relish is the idea that that marketing is just relationship building, and whether you're selling oh you know some sort of very inexpensive widget or selling a very expensive um, service or trying to get people to engage with uh, with your mission as a nonprofit, you, you have to build that relationship and and 
so many people, and we see this constantly on on social media, on, in email marketing, et cetera, they just leap right to the to the sale um, without you know without dating it at all, um, and it, <laughs> it's it's really frustrating to see <laughs> that true. that's still occurring. Yeah, um, you know, it's 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 like, hey, we just met. Will you marry me? And that's <laughs> rarely how uh, how that whole process works for for people. And you know, as you mentioned before, you know, people really aren't any different than they were you know, hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah in terms true. of, of, uh, you know, I guess, I guess you could argue that hundreds of years ago, people actually did sort of do that high, let's get married thing. But, um, <laughs> perhaps, but, um, yeah, perhaps. but well, I mean, but it it's, it's, you know, probably, like, look at yeah. if, if I've got wheat and you've got wheat, then great. We both have wheat, but if I have wheat and you have leather, then you and I could figure out some way to trade. And it's in our advantage because I want leather to, to, to put on my horse, use as a saddle, and you want wheat so you can eat. And it, like that's a mutually beneficial transaction. And I think what people forget about content is that it really does need to be mutually beneficial. People get so fixated on building lists or grabbing eyeballs, they forget to think about, well, why would this person on the other end care? Right. You know, they're certainly not going to care because you have written something. You have to, they're, they're going to care because you've written something that will help them greatly and that you're demonstrating to them early is worth the investment of effort to see if it will help them. It's not just about, I wrote this super helpful article. You have to show them and tell them that it's a super helpful article as well, you know? Yeah, it's funny how how we all need to <laughs> need to conti- continually be led to that to to that water, I guess. Um, well, it's like it's where... it's in some ways it's the way it's the same way that you know uh, I don't know my wife, for example, can have a perfectly great conversation with me when she sits down to write. She feels she has to put her professor hat on and try to write with four syllable words and so on and so forth. Uh, When we think that we're marketing, we get this weird sense of it has to be this way and we've got to be that way. And really all it is, is is saying, look it, I have something you might be interested in. Here's why you should check it out. Let me know if you're interested. That's really all it is. Right. You know, right. It's all the content marketing is. It's all that sales is. I was talking to a guy yesterday I said, you know, you're really good at sales. He says, oh, God, I hate that word. Could, couldn't we just say that I'm really good at, like, following up with people that I care about to see how they're doing and just to remind them that if they're interested, they could buy my stuff? I'm like, dude, that is sales. <laughs> or at least it's, a, <laughs> it's supposed to be, you know? We've, we've gotten so far away from it that, uh, you know, sales is the, is the slick Rick guy at the um, – use car lot and marketing is um full of fishing rod metaphors and she uses <laughs> words like targets and you know conversions and all this stuff to 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 obfuscate from the fact it's just a human making a choice to read your thing and saying oh actually you know that might that might help yeah absolutely it's um it's funny how people don't, you know, people just really want their problem solved yeah. and they don't really care how you do it. Um, and, and then, you know, back to the relationship piece, it's, it, it really is just a, you know, if there's one KPI that I recommend people start tracking, it's how many conversations have you had in, in the last week, month, you know, however, whatever duration of time you're, you're wanting to track against. And, and if, if you can just make sure that you're reaching out to enough people to fill that calendar, uh, to fill your calendar, you know, it doesn't have to be full, full, you don't have to do, do have conversations eight hours a day necessarily, but that you're filling your calendar with enough conversations that turn into opportunities. And, um, and it's funny how, and as a marketer, you know, we are always talking about, what's the sales funnel we need to build mm. out and and how many times do we need to be posting a week on X, Y, and Z and all of these activities that certainly lead to, can lead to those conversations. But ultimately it comes down to just asking for the, 
for the conversation. You know, do you have 15 minutes to chat about X? Yeah. And if you're a, a nonprofit, particularly an ED or, a, or, or someone out there who's in charge of, 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 you know, increasing donations, um, you know, that's a great place to start is to just start making sure that some portion of your day is spent asking for conversations and another portion of your day is spent having those conversations. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned you know, that's, that. <laughs> that's from, from copywriting, but well, uh, no, it, I mean, it is because, you know, you said people, you said people wanted to get their problems solved. And I think one of the mistakes that nonprofits that I see constantly make is they think that people's problem is that they don't know enough about their nonprofit, you know? Studis doesn't know enough about Rickson.org. No, you know, they think, they think that's, that, that my, that Stu's problem is that he has extra money that he wants to donate. But I mean, the, the realistically, the quote unquote problem is in a lot of times I want to feel good. And if you can, if you can find a way to help donors get that feeling by helping your mission or by donating money or by volunteering, that can go a long way. If you treat, if you treat the problem as I would like to feel good by helping you, then all of a sudden there's a shift in your, your um, marketing, right? You move from donation appeals to telling stories about how donors uh, helped out this person or whatever, like, you know, it's kind of a half formed thought, but, it's on my mind. I, we found this person in the street last night, like this this girl, like 22-year-old kid, like so, so drunk she was lying on the road. And uh, we basically helped her up and very ponderously tried to figure out, you know, what the heck she was doing there, what she was on, what was going on. And we found out that she eventually found out that she lived only about a a mile away. I don't know how she got to my neighborhood, but we walked her home and had her roommates come out and meet her. And damned if we didn't worry all night about her until right. her mother texted my wife this morning and said, thank you so much for what you did last night. She's fine, blah, 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 blah. That felt really good. And that's, I think, why people support nonprofits. They, at their core, it's a way to feel good. It's a way to feel like you are helping something or someone in a world that's increasingly out of control or increasingly fractious or, you know. Uh, yeah. And so, if you, if you think about how can we, at, at, at its core, one of the emotional needs that our donors have is that, that feel good button. How do we push that button? How can we show them that right. we helped? How can we, you know, then all of a sudden you shift it from, you shift the, the conversation from let's figure out ways to blast our mission and message at people. And right. you transform it to, let's figure out ways that we can connect people with opportunities to use their resources to help others and feel good in doing so. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because this, that ties into, you know, Donald Miller's story brand approach to things where you you're talking about the hero's journey mm. and how most, most businesses, most nonprofits, and I think it's a particular challenge in the nonprofit space tend to position themselves as the hero in the story. If you go to, um, you know, any really just pick a site and go to it and you'll, you'll be able to, to see yeah. this in action <laughs> where the, either the nonprofit or the, or the business in question is spending 98% of the time talking about themselves. Mm, and yep. essentially yeah. when one does that, one positions that entity as the hero in the story. And if you're trying to appeal to people, people love being the heroes. They're the, I'm, I'm the hero of my story. You're the hero of your, your story. And when we aren't positioned in that, or when we, when, an entity is able to position us in, in their story as that role, um, things tend to, to take off. And, and it's a real challenge with nonprofits because, you know, there's this selflessness that comes within the nonprofit world and, and, you know, nonprofits are, you know, 
by nature doing heroic things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's a little challenging to pivot that story to make your donor the hero. But, but I think that, you know, as, as you described very well, that if, if you can do that, if you can position this in terms of, you know, you're going to be helping these people thrive, you're going to be helping these animals you know, get through a hard time. You're going to be helping, you know, these kids get education as opposed to we, the nonprofit are doing that for you or in your stead. I think that that's where some of the copywriting magic can happen in, in this particular space, for example. I, I agree. I mean, we, I have a friend and client, uh, who helped redesign the most successful uh, donation campaign in the history of the University of Toronto. This thing was like ridiculously successful. And uh, their, their, one of their big challenges was how do we, how do we reinvent this? You know, how do we, relaunch this campaign for another 10 years. I think that the original campaign had done $4 billion over 10 years, you know, for, for things like, Oh, there's medical center. Here's whatever. I mean, so we're talking like mm -hmm. large donations, the typical kinds of donations you'd see at a university or a college. Right. But the idea that they came up with was they moved from, and you can see this, you can see this at the um, current, uh, University of Toronto donation campaign. I'll give you the link and you can put it in the notes. They moved from a focus on donations to a focus on what those donations enable. So they organized everything by, uh, you know, six or seven different campaign priorities like build inclusive cities or enable healthy lives or create a sustainable future. And so, when you're, you know, linking through, you can then browse particular initiatives under that bucket. For example, I'm as we're recording this, I'm clicking through their website. I've gone to create a sustainable future. Now I'm clicking through to create high-impact clean energy solutions. And here we've got a page talking about U of T's Climate Positive Energy Initiative talks about what they're doing, why it's important, and it's full of give now buttons. You know, support the climate positive energy research. Industry. You're more, much more likely to do that if you're interested in being environmentally friendly with your money than you are simply saying, yes, I'd like to donate $5,000. Please give it to some sort of, you know, environmental thing. Uh, you know, there, right. there's also, you may also be interested in supporting a new sustainable building at U of T, uh, supporting healthy and sustainable cities and so on and so forth. It's all organized around, you know, how, how can we help people feel good about the money they're donating? Not simply from a, well, golly, I did a good thing today. We made a, we made a donation out of uncle Fester's inheritance, <laughs> but, right. you know, but like, yeah, we actually, we actually directed our money toward the climate positive energy initiative. And now we'll be helping people prevent, you know, the catastrophic impacts of climate change It's a really cool uh, concept. And, and one that I think your nonprofit listeners could learn a lot from. Yeah. And it's, it seems like it's not guilt driven. There's, there's some nonprofits out there and I can't, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus here, but that tend to do something similar, but they attach, you know, such a small figure to how you can help, you know, for 29 cents. A yeah. Day yeah. Just a dollar. I mean, and, you think about those, those ads yeah. that you and I used to see in the eighties, the famine ads, you know? Yep. Yeah. Or the one with the um, Sarah McLaughlin song and the dog sitting out. In yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the sad, sad dogs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I do remember Rach and I, Rach is my wife, we have supported Save the Children for, for gosh, I don't even know how many years, 30 years or something. And, um, and there was one year in particular, I remember that they had this kind of a catalog type thing that, that gave a bunch of information about where, where certain 
levels of support could go. And one of them I remember very distinctly was, was build a well. And I know that water mm. and, and water scarcity is becoming a bigger and bigger challenge f- for people in more arid climates mm-hmm. around the world, probably actually anywhere really. Um, but, uh, but they attached a dollar figure to building a well and, and then gave some other information about how, how that helps, you know, sustain the community and, and leads to kids being in school more hours a day because they're not yeah. walking yeah. seven miles to get water, et cetera. Um, and, and so it was a really neat way to, to attach a, a dollar figure to an outcome, um, in a, in a non, yeah, non guilty sort of feeling way. Um, is, is that similar to what you're seeing there at, at U of T? Yeah, exactly. And it's the kind of stuff that I, that I like to do in, you know, in the work that I'm doing these days, right? Like, uh, I, I, I came up doing content marketing. I still do a fair bit of it for the right clients, more and more these days, I'm focused on copy on, you know, in a, in a nonprofit context, for example, like rewriting your donation page or your homepage or helping you craft that donation mm-hmm. letter. And that's exactly that story that you just told about build a well, that's exactly the kind of stuff that I try to do. How do we ground this in the specific? How do we knowing what we know about our ideal donor? How do we write the perfect words that helps them connect th- the idea of, oh, yeah, I can make a real difference here. You know, that's the kind of stuff that UFT is doing and the kind of things that I like to do with, with both nonprofit and for-profit clients. Yeah, it's, um, I, I think everything is a, is a work in progress and, a, and an experiment. And you, you, know, you need to make sure that you're measuring um, the effect, <laughs> positive or, or negative, and, and then make adjustments and measure that as well. And so, um, you know, that tends to be another area of, of challenge for a lot of nonprofits is the, is the accountability piece in terms of, of what did this actually result in? Um, and, and so, you know, it sounds to me like you're doing, you're doing that kind of work where, where you're, you're constantly testing new messaging and, and ways of, pre- of presenting that information. Um, yeah, I try. To, to see what's I, working best. I, you'd be, I mean, when you move out of the, the sleaze world, you also tend to leave behind the people that are relentlessly obsessed with measuring because they're always looking for an edge. So it's harder Mm -hmm. to help main street America. You know, it's harder to help the mom and pop shop with eight employees get really, really, really into the concept of AB testing a headline to see which one makes, makes a bigger impact on their money, you know, but you know, right. the the more progressive I think among your nonprofit um, listeners are to, are doing exactly that. Let's let's write a version A of this donation letter and a version B of this donation letter and mail each of them out to a thousand people and see which one brings in more money. And then let's use that as the control. And then let's move on and test. We'll innovate the second paragraph and and so on and so forth. It's an interesting process that I think can lead to a lot of, um, you know, optimization has come to have a a bad connotation, but really what you're trying to do is optimize for the maximum ROI on your marketing investment. If you could spend a thousand dollars on marketing and get 23% more donations, than you did last campaign. Well, why wouldn't you do that? Right. 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 Well, I think it comes down to your intention and, you know, it's, it's not that I, that you necessarily would just want to sell more things or, or bring in more money. You want to help more people or, or, you know, whatever your mission is, you want to help, help those entities have lead a better life or for sure it's it's much it more is, right? it's much easier to do uh when you believe in the product and when you believe or you know believe in the cause or believe that you've got a you know an ethical product that you're marketing ethically right. so that's you know another reason why i left that world i just couldn't take it anymore i couldn't i couldn't sell any more anti-aging cream <laughs> right. <laughs> Just get old, damn it. <laughs> it's working for me. Yeah, me too. Um so you mentioned earlier about building your email list. What what what's your what's your feeling about email 
these days is, you know, you, you could hear, you, know, you could go to go online and, and search for email marketing and get a thousand different hits on why it's dead or why it's thriving. What, what's your take on, on, uh, on leveraging one's email to, uh, for outreach? Well, I personally believe that until somebody comes up with something that is as intimate and as reliable as an email delivered into your inbox that it's just not going to die. It it won't it certainly won't be replaced by something broadcasty like social media. It, it there would have to be an evolution in email technology I think for for what we know as email today to be replaced. There's just nothing like it. It's you have ac- access excuse me. You have access to um person's inbox you've got a reasonable uh, assurance that it's going to get there you can innovate on subject headlines to try to get more people to open the thing you can innovate on calls to action to try to get more people to click on what you're putting in there but even for example let's say you quote unquote only get 25 percent of people to open up your email that's still 10 to 15 times higher than uh, the, the percentage you'll see on um, social media. You know, Facebook, for example, might deliver your, right. it might show your post to 120 people in the th- the thousand of your group. Maybe if you're lucky, right. they might show it to right. 80 in the thousand that are in your group as opposed to, you know, let's say you set you email to a, a nice warm list of a thousand, you might get three hundred and fifty people opening it. Uh, right. You might only get one hundred and ten right. people opening it, but the odds are that you can do more to get people to open up that email. So it's it's there's this crazy statistic statistic sorry that's floating around, but it gets it gets proven every couple of years. The 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 ROI on uh, email floats around in the 30s and 40 X's, you know, 38 times, mm-hmm. 44 times. I, I don't know what it is these days in 2022, but it's really high. And so, on average, if you're doing things right, you know, for every thousand dollars you're spending on email, it's leading to 25, 30, 35,000 dollars if you've got the machine working nicely, you know? So I feel there's nothing like email and there won't be until email itself gets upgraded. Right. Well, you mentioned intimacy and and I think that that's a big component of, of email is that people tend to think that they need to over design their emails. And so they are very clearly coming not from, a person. And that's one of the quickest ways. Well, the first, the first way is in your subject line. And if your subject line looks like it has been sent in bulk, it's very likely that that will not get opened. And so really making sure that you can optimize your subject line to, to appear as if it was a a one-to-one type conversation. Um, and then once you get those opened, the quickest way to make someone absolutely know that they aren't special is to make that email look like it was overly designed. And, you know, it's, it's clearly not a personal request or, mm-hmm. or conversation starter or, or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's, if, if you can strip all that stuff out, um, which is r- remarkably easy to, to not over design an email, <laughs> yeah. um, you, especially in the nonprofit space, you know, the more that one can make these feel in both tone and design as if they were coming from a single person to another single person, the the better off you're going to be in uh, in the performance of that, as well as improving your future open rates for sure. Um, you know, and on the copy too, right? Like, right? Uh, you know, people make a couple of mistakes one of them being we 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 you know we we itis i call it let's talk about us when you should be saying you whenever you can but but, uh, another one of these a very simple thing to do 
we often drop into hey everyone or hello all or you know this sort of yeah, absolutely. talking to all of our donor base all at once when in fact you're going to see much better results by letting them know you're talking to them to that single person yeah. uh and you know along the lines that you just said if you can write an email from you know from from Stu Sutcliffe the bassist from the Beatles my, right. my, my brain said Sutcliffe not Swineford <laughs> so if you can write a letter from Stu Swineford I clearly have the Beatles on the brain I'm listening to deluxe album after deluxe album uh, nice. Stu Sutcliffe for benefit of your readers was the guy that was left behind the fifth Beatle that never was <laughs> in any case if you can send your email from Stu Swineford director of whatever as opposed to from you know swineford.org and we at blah blah yep. blah. You're you're also going to end up uh, um, personalizing that email and increasing that intimate connection that you've got with that reader. And that's so much harder to do on social media. There's no getting around the fact that you are one of millions who are seeing the you know the the post about the urgency of you know, famine relief or, or flood relief in Pakistan or whatever. Like it's a much different thing when you put that into somebody's inbox and say, listen, we need your help. You or I'm talking to you and right. we need your help right now. Can you give us this money to help this, you know? Right. Yeah. Personalization is key as well. I think one of the, one of the studies that I read was if you, if you just weave if you have an, an, a bulk email system like MailChimp, yeah. uh, your CRM, Constant Contact, whatever you're, whatever one is using, um, definitely try to personalize the subject lines. Um, so, um, you know, a uh, you know, how's it going, comma, Aaron yeah. gets opened a lot more than how's it going. Um, just by nature of using somebody's name in in the subject line, you're you're going to see people's you're going to see your open rates improve. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because you talked about future deliverability. Like that, that's going to work the first time. I know a guy that sends out an email that says, I'm on Zoom. And it's like, here's the link for our meeting. You know, like that, that works once yep. until you realize you're being tricked into clicking on a webinar. Yeah. You know, so yeah. the the idea that you yeah. can, you can progr programmatically personalize an email it, it might catch somebody once, but then if you let them down by doing the opposite of what we just talked about, if you're talking to your yeah. donor base, if you're saying we too much, if you, you know, so it all works in tandem. If you can say yeah. an urgent appeal, Stu, and then it, 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 you can open it up and you've got the software to say, listen, we know that, you, you know, in Colorado, you might not think about, what's happening around the world, but people in Pakistan de desperately need your help and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like if you can work these ways into an email, that's cool to do it with your software. But what's required at the base is that understanding that says we are going to be speaking to one person and one person alone. And that's the person that's reading this email. Yeah. We're going to get somebody to actually read yeah. these things to make sure we don't ever slip from the idea that there's one person at, swineford.org that's talking to one reader and uh you know that's the, that's the way we write our emails from now on yeah yeah or, or just start go back to doing it manually yeah and, <laughs> yeah we'll just send we'll just <laughs> and actually do that it, right that actually might be the way to once, do it right <laughs> yeah well, I mean, that might be the way to start is is if you're having trouble with that is to just go and write, you know, 30 personalized emails and see how that feels and then take that and apply it to your next bulk email mm -hmm. and, and just start from that perspective or that, you know, put yourself in that seat that this is going to a single person and, um, and I'm, I'm going to make it feel like that 100%. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of this it's 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 hard to do it's hard to make that shift but at the same time it's one of the easiest ways to 
improve your emails, your opens and your clicks and, and the general goodwill of the people on the other end who are reading them in their inbox. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Aaron, I can't believe it's been, <laughs> been an hour. Time always flies when uh, when I get to talk with you. Yeah. Um, I, I have a couple couple questions sure, for yeah. you. The first one is, I know you do a crazy movie deep dive every <laughs> every holiday break, which is coming up. Oh, I um, forgot about that I, piece. When I quit Facebook, I, can't I forgot. Remember, <laughs> I can't remember who it was. it Nick Cage last year or was it? Uh, last year no, I did. Uh, Russell Crowe. Last year I did uh, Russell Crowe, yeah. It was it just about killed me. I was pretty tired of Russell Crowe by the time I was done. <laughs> what I like to do is is I like to try to do, you know how they have the 12 days of Christmas. I, I try to watch a movie yeah. every one of those 12 days. And I've done the okay. 12 days of Cagemas, the 12 days of Cruzmas. Uh, to, to last last year was clearly Crowsmas. Uh you know, so I, 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 uh, gosh, I don't know what to do. I used to publish them on Facebook and now that I'm off the platform, I don't know where I'll put them, but maybe I'll find a way. Maybe I'll well, just email people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. You don't have to publish it. You could just do it for you as yeah, well. No. I was just curious if you had, if you had, uh, had one picked out. For well, listen, uh, I have off, I've long wanted to do God rest you Denzel Washington, uh, uh, so that might be there. Um, Sandra Bullock appeals. Um, the the key the over the the thing is you have to find somebody that can act but regularly chooses not to. You know, <laughs> you, 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 get, you get you know like with Nick with a Nick Cage, the man is a good actor. In brackets, when he wants to be. And much of the uh -huh. time, he is not. So I find that very fascinating about, I mean, not that I would ever submit myself to 12 Adam Sandler movies, but the man can act. If you've ever seen Uncut Gems yeah, yep, or Punch Drunk Love or, uh, you know, he yeah. can act. So why does he do the, this? Like, the no, Mash, no, 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 the no, 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 stories. Like, yeah, like, oh, Meyerowitz stories. Meyerowitz stories. stories. Meyerowitz stories, yeah. yeah. That was, he was great in that. Yeah. yeah. When he has, I would say Ben Stiller would be on that list as well. Yeah. We, my family favorite, uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. They, the kids love that movie. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so he can do it. He just, you know, like spends a lot of his time doing Meet the Fockers or whatever, right? Like, why? So that, right. that essential question is there. Like, why do you do this? And so you, you take somebody like Russell Crowe who has chops and then at the same time will sign up to play Noah and, you know, with these like crazy rock monsters. <laughs> I don't even know what they were doing in the movie. Uh, anybody involved right. with Noah should be embarrassing themselves. Darren Aronofsky first. <laughs> but I digress. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have started me on movies. No, just rant for another hour. <laughs> you said you had two questions. What was the other one? Well, the other one is how I normally wrap up each show. And so the first question, so I guess I have a, a couple more. Than okay, I can questions. hear you. How can, people, how can people find out about you if they'd like to talk with you more about copywriting or have you help them craft the per perfect one-to-one -to -one email? Well, it, how, can they, uh, it, how can they reach they out? They can find me at rickson.com. That's W-R-I-X-O-N.com. Easy. Six easy, awesome. easy six letter Bam. domain W R I X O N. I always tell people that Rickson is the last word you'll ever know. Have to know how to spell Rickson because <laughs> I'll take care of the rest. Rickson. Of them. Nice, yeah. nice. And the second question is: I like having conversations. I like discussions. However, I really would like to inspire people to take action. Mm. And so if there was any action that you'd like somebody to take after listening to the show today, what would that be? Uh, give your head a shake. No, I, I, uh, <laughs> I think authenticity, try to, try to be more authentic, uh, try to be more bold in your communications, more real, more authentic, more vulnerable, more engaging. Uh, this is a, an acronym that I once developed called braver. I've, it's been so long since I've thought about it that I have forgotten the second R, but just get braver in what you do. Be brave about daring to commit to authentic conversation, to real thought leadership, to 
non-sleazy copywriting. That's that's easier for the nonprofit world than for the profit world because sure. nonprofits are often so mission driven that they would never dream of writing sleazy stuff. But the you know the the other danger is writing boring stuff. There's there's a space for you that's not huckstery, but is also not simply boring and wallpaper. And I challenge you, listener, with an R, not with an S, because I'm talking to just the one of you. (laughs) Uh, I challenge you to be more authentic in your relations with your donors. I second that and would encourage everyone to just start writing as well. And in that, in that vein. Um, so go out there and write some, some braver copy. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on the show, Thanks, Aaron. It's a, always a pleasure to chat with you. Indeed, my friend. And uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day up there in Canada. <laughs> Thank you. My, the rest of my day is going to last for way too long, but I will, I will, I will have a great one because you asked me to. Awesome. Thanks for being on Thanks, the show. Man. And there you have it, another great episode of Relish This. Thanks again for listening. You can find past episodes of the show at relishthis.org. And remember, if you liked what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on purpose marketing, grab your free copy of my book, Mission Uncomfortable, How Nonprofits Can Embrace Purpose-Driven Marketing to Survive and Thrive. Get your copy now at missionuncomfortablebook.com. Thanks again for listening. Come back next week, won't you?